I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bridge Street Capital Partners is a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specializes in equity capital market transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily in the mining, energy and tech sectors. If you are a Section 708 sophisticated investor, and would like to be on Bridge Street's distribution list for their upcoming capital raises, please send them your details via an email to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au and mention the BIP show in your message. Now, on with the show. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios at Northbridge, Sydney. You are listening to the all-new BIP Show, Season 4, Episode 11. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is general in nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs, someone like me, if in fact, if you want to do that. Coincidentally, that is what I do, as I just said. I am James Wheeler, Investment Manager and Advisor at VFS Group. This episode is being recorded in Sydney. It is 9.37 a.m. on the 6th of May, 2022 A.D. This week has been a hootenanny, um, has, has it not? And so I've decided to assemble a team of some of the greatest, finest minds in the financial markets in the Australian sphere. But with what's going on um, right now, we needed as much help as we could possibly get. Um, we're going to have a look at uh, what's going on with the two most in central the two most important central banks on the planet um now we've had a 50 basis point rise uh, in march in the fed and 50 basis points in may now and then another 50 and then there's going to be another 50 and another 50 and another 50 but as long as it's not 75 everyone seemed to be okay i've said and i've heard it said numerous times that the worst was priced in if that is the case then where is the evidence for that at all it seems like it just keeps on getting repriced myself i've, I've become numb to the numbers, uh, in much the same way that I was during the start of the pandemic. I now just call inflation percentages high and higher and bond yields higher. I don't look at the actual exact numbers, elbow style, I suppose, and markets as I define as lower or much lower is uh, is now the case in that one. I'm not worrying about percentages. I'm not worrying about exact day-to-day things. That's the numbers that I have cast over me on this one. The market saw a re- relief rally on Wednesday, followed last night by a substantial and indiscriminate drop right across the boards. We'll get right into that. Taking 75 basis points off the table by the Fed seemed to be a boon to the markets temporarily, and now it feels like the potential for selling is here off the back of potentially redemptions. If that is the case, there is more pain ahead, but let's get right into it. Um, Now, I am joined today by Stephen Kukulis from Market Economics, Heath Moss from HLM Investments, Chris Weston from Pepperstone, and provided he's managed to figure out the mute button on his microphone, Kyle Roder from Ausbiz at his new job, which is fantastic. Uh, Everyone... All joining. How are you now? Good morning. Good morning. Doing well here. Very okay. good. Fantastic. Well, it, it looks like if Kyle can't get his, uh, get himself into the thing, then we we'll just have to push on. Like I said, time is of the essence, and this will be a quick podcast. Uh, that's it. We're going to crack straight into it with who am I going with first? We're going to spin the wheel. Tick 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 tick. Uh, Stephen Kakoulis, Market Economics. Um, now, <laughs> locally, because that's your that's your deal. Let's just. I'm just going to give you free reign on it. Um, what the RBA did this week, too late, too little, 
too much um, go, mate. The uh, the floor is yours. Good question. And look, it's pretty easy to be critical of the RBA, so I will be. They've um, <laughs> they've uh, really got the ball in the last little while. They didn't cut when they should have when inflation was locked in below the target range. And, you know, they were slow to come to the party with this rate hiking cycle. And while they did a little more than most of us were thinking, they went the 25 basis point hike on Tuesday. Uh, and to give them a little bit of credit, you know, they acknowledged, or Dr Lowe acknowledged that, you know, the wage pressures are coming through, uh, even anecdotally if it's not in the hard data. They said that they were blown out of the water, like all of us probably were with that inflation result. Certainly the order of magnitude, not the direction. Um, and I guess what we've been seeing globally with rate hikes, even those that occurred after the RBA this week with the Bank of England and the Fed, that you know we, we know rates are being hiked globally. We know inflation's high. We know commodity prices are booming. So, um, you know, look, they've been really slow. They're behind the curve. My fear is that as we get the next couple of quarters of information coming through on wages, unemployment, inflation... They will all be of the direction that that really cause greater concern for those people worried about inflation. Because even as the RBA's thinking, they've got a forecast for the CPI at six percent. Uh, so it's going to get worse before it gets better. Underlying inflation also accelerating, and we do know that with things like the job ad series, unemployment rate's going to be well below four percent in the next couple of months. So that'll be a cause of concern for the markets, given the skill and labour shortages that are out there. And that feeds into what will, in my view, be the shock results in the next couple of quarters that will actually see private sector wages picking up towards 4 and maybe even 5% by the time we get to the end of this year. So, look, one cheer for the RBA. They've finally, you know, they've finally done the first hike in the cycle. But, boy, oh, boy, they've got a lot of catch-up to do. Yeah. Are you seeing any any big impact that's going to happen on... Well, I, I, I don't want to bring the election into it because I, I know that that's going to be, but I'm, I'm just going to say it. I mean, sure. as, soon, as soon as it was done, it was raised. A mate of mine um, just said, look, that's it. ScoMo's lost the election on this one. I, I honestly don't think that is the case, but I was just wondering what your take on that was. No, I, I don't think it's the case either. Look, it, it's obviously an issue and the campaigns is focusing on cost of living and inflation pressures and all the rest of it. So, um, and to me, in a sense, that's not the most important thing. One of the issues that I'm also looking at is that and I think both uh, ScoMo and Albo um, both got asked about this during the course of the week. You know, what can you do about cost of living pressures? And um, and the short answer is, in one sense, they can't do a huge amount. But on the other side, that I think whoever wins on the 21st of May, you know, so whether we have Josh Frydenberg being re-elected or Jim Chalmers, you know, moves into the Treasury role, mm. I think whoever it is has got to actually look at the budget position and sort of say that, you know, government spending, which makes up about 20, 25% of GDP, is still really strong. So when you think that the RBA is trying to restrain private sector demand with rate hikes, you've got the government pumping money into the economy right now. And as I said, whoever wins on the 21st of May, they've probably got to have a bit of a, a rethink of fiscal policy and get fiscal policy just sort of taking some of the some of that extra demand that's going to the economy from that very elevated level of government spending. Yeah, okay. Uh, we're going to keep jumping around here. We'll come back to you in a second. Thank you, Stephen. Chris, response to that, and let's talk about the Fed. Um, how far will they go? Um and, and will the, when, when, when does it all start to become actually priced in by the markets? And uh, just like I said, the microphone is yours. Go for it. Well, the, I think, you know, we, we, we are messing around with rates now. I mean, we've got 
the US, the June meetings, we're pricing 55 basis points. So we've been guided by um, the Fed meeting for that. They obviously came down um, and they've repriced. They've poo-pooed the idea we're going to get any chance for 75 basis points. So I think that's fine. We're at 55 for the next next meeting. The the, the meeting after in, in July 27th, we're going to see around 50 basis points priced. And we're looking for around 200 uh, basis points of hikes in the US for this year, which is about eight hikes all, all together. Um, that's fine. I think we're now at there. We're obviously very much at the mercy of data. We're going to be watching average hourly earnings in, in the payrolls print tonight. Obviously, the irony there is that if we get a really strong number, well above five and a half percent, which is consensus, then you know the Nasdaq may continue to fall because you know good news is bad news. news, is bad news yeah. 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 Um, so we'll mess around with the edges, but I, I think ultimately, let's let's try and break this down to real simple stuff. The, the Fed have got three mandates. One is um, price stability or you know, getting inflation around that, that target range of 2 to 3%. Then we've got um, you know, full employment. And then we've got basically stability and, and, and rising equity markets. Two of those mandates are now firmly off. Um, I think th- there will be a point where they will need a higher impl- uh, unemployment rate. Um, they actually want lower equity prices and, and rising credit spreads because they need to achieve the primary objective, which is price stability. And they are, they are so hell-bent now, and the market knows they are so hell-bent on trying to get inflation down to targets that that will require higher unemployment at some stage, and it will require uh, lower equity markets and tighter financial conditions. The market knows that. The Fed put is a million miles away from these current levels. The market is now trying to search out the Fed, and they, they know that inflation has to be the primary target of, of the central bank. So until we see signs of them pivoting, um, you know, people are selling risk, people are going to be selling equity markets lower. And, and I think the, 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 the probability is we go lower from here. So we've priced in a, a, you know, a fair degree of, of hikes over the, of the next 12 months. The terminal, <clears throat> the terminal rate in the US is going to be well above 3%, probably about 3.5%. Um, and I think what's really important for markets here is this neutral rate. This is the rate that in the future, which is no longer stimulatory or restrictive. Um, and the market, we don't know where that is. The Fed have said that that's probably between 2 and 3%. But when we get you know, a series of rate hikes, we'll be closer to understanding uh, and pinpoint that number. Now, that number is really important because without the Fed actually knowing where that is, uh, effectively, we run the risk of a policy mistake. You know, they could over tighten in that situation. So the question is, is when we get to that point, if we do see a point where the Fed say, like, we're near, we found the neutral rate, we think the neutral rate's two and a half percent. Yeah, will they take the Fed funds rate above that level and into restrictive territory at a time when, you know, the, the economy in the US is showing some red flags? We saw that last night in, in non-farm product productivity, which was the lowest since 1947. Uh, I think Heath was around for that. But that, that's yeah. the issue is, is that we have, a, <laughs> we have a market now that's saying the Fed can't price the neutral rate. The Fed really want inflation lower and they're prepared to sacrifice the economy to do that. And I think that's why we're in, in, in such a pickle here. One quick question: How do you what, what are you? what are your signals that you're going to be looking for? What is your flag to say that it's now done? I.e., and you know my favourite expression: play the tape to the end. What is what does the end of this actually look like? Where then we, we, we start worrying about the next thing? Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure if I understand the question. You're talking about where rate hikes are being priced. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm talking about when does the market when does the market go? Okay, that's that we we are now at the valuation that we feel. Yeah, is, I mean, is where it needs to be. That's a that's a great question, right? And, and if you. you look if you if you look like if you look last night, um, it was all flow, right? So you've got. Yeah, options market makers who were having to to hedge their delta, they were you know, very very short gamma, and therefore, you know, the, the the market falls, they have to go and sell futures, and that's what we saw. We saw portfolios deleveraging as volatility kicked up. 
um, we saw you know sell programs going through the market. So we're trying to find the fundamental reason for the move last night. It's just flow. It was just hedging flow. It was deleveraging from from volatility funds. Yeah, it's all stuff that that, that mum and dads don't really get to see. It's what the investment flow desks get to see front and center, and they're telling us this is all flow. People de-risking. What we're not seeing, I don't think at the moment. This is the question you've got to ask yourself: Are we seeing panic in the market? I don't think we are. And what we saw in 2020 is we saw genuine panic. And it's when we get to that point is when we see a capitulation low. So I think the market now is is is, is deleveraging. It's de-risking. It's probably going into you know high levels of cash. We're probably institutional funds are going into the yeah the the Fed's re, um, re, reverse repo facility and getting risk-free rates, which is taking cash out of the market effectively. Um, but I don't think we've seen panic. We've not seen that capitulation move. When we do, that's when, you know, the heaths of this world will be saying to their clients, you know, fill your boots and pile up the truck, you know, back up the truck into <laughs> equity markets. But I don't think we've got to that point yet. I mean, that, that's the point of debate. There'll be people in, in, in who are listening to this right now, and, and there's some very intelligent people in this room who will disagree with me, perhaps. But I, I think we need to see a capitulation move, and I don't think we've seen it yet. I think we, we potentially, you know, I just every night I'm going to flick on CNBC, and if it's if the market's in turmoil, uh, the, the logo is on down the bottom corner, then I'll know that it's time to start maybe picking up some calls. The uh, that, uh, speaking of going into actual markets, Heath, mate, where's the yep, place mate. to hide? Where is the place to hide at the moment, or uh, how are you positioning yourself? How have you positioned yourself, um, mate? Talk your book, go nuts. Yeah, look, uh, clients that are coming to me at the moment with uh, their extra cash, which is still, there's still quite a bit around, especially in self-managed super funds. Um, I'm saying to them at the moment, you know, try and keep your powder drier because obviously I don't think the uh, the selling is done. Um, we're somewhat insulated here in, a, in Australia in terms of we had uh, China had our backs to start the year. Now, now they're in lockdown a little bit, but the market sort of knows the playbook there. They're eventually going to come out of those lockdowns um, and uh, push their economy uh, forward, support their economy in the, probably in the second half of this year. So I think that's what the market is waiting for in Australia. So we'll somewhat be a safe haven where we'll, we'll come off, we'll fall, but uh, it won't be as bad as the US or, or Europe, etc. So I've been telling clients to sort of keep your powder dry if you can. Um, if they they're, uh, they really want to jump into the market, I've been suggesting uh, the healthcare sector. I believe it's already been oversold. It's underperformed in terms of the rest of the uh, extra. JO, uh, it's about 10% um, underperformance there for their healthcare sector. Mm. So you're looking at things like the uh, Ancels, uh, Sonic Healthcare, CSLs, ResMeds of the world, which are, I think will perform regardless of market uh, uh, situations where their incomes are quite defensive um, and uh, the last thing to be cut on the ho- household budget um, moving forward. Uh, the other sector I believe is about to have another decent run is, is probably gold. Um we saw uh, it's quarterly reporting season here in the uh, in Australia in terms of the the big miners and reporting their first quarter results. Um, they've been somewhat disappointing, um, mainly because of uh, high input costs, labour uh, shortages, and labour higher labour costs. Um, so that squeezed margins a little bit. Yeah. Hey, but hey, can I jump yes, in, mate? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So, like my my view on my thesis on the US uh, on gold is that. If you want to hedge your portfolio from equity drawdown, if you want to hedge it, you go into the U.S. dollar because the U.S. dollar yep. has, has, the, has had the, the biggest negative correlation relative to S&P futures, right? So if you want to hedge mm-hmm. the downside risk, you go into the least correlated asset, which is the U.S. dollar. And it's, and it's certainly over gold in U.S. treasuries. You know, treasuries have got a positive correlation with uh, – uh, yeah, price has got a positive correlation. So until that changes – 
um, yeah, the market will not use gold as as a dominant hedge against against these kind of risks. So the question for me is is when when do you start giving up on the U.S. dollar um, and you start going genuinely overweight U.S. Treasuries, um, and that that time could be approaching in terms of Treasuries because. I think you know, growth is starting to get called into question. We saw that from the Bank of England last night. You know, Jamie Dimon's talking about it. So the question is, is when does the, the big funds go massively overweight U.S. Treasuries on a, on a deteriorating growth narrative? That may take some heat out of the U.S. dollar. And that, to me, is when, when the gold price rallies. But what's, what's your view there? Yeah, look, I think you're 100% correct. And I'm not saying going full bore, you know, uh, jump, uh, go go head first. I'm saying trickling some money into it, especially into Australian gold miners that are reporting right. on AUD. Because yep. obviously, the, at the moment, you know, the Australian dollar is falling, US dollar is rising. So that's, that's you know, bullish for our uh, Australian gold miners that they're getting more per ounce. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm saying there's a trickle there. On most fundamental metrics, the Australian gold miners look uh, uh, oversold and look mm-hmm. quite cheap around these levels. Um, so you're talking about Northern Stars, Evolution, even someone like a, a Gold Road, GOR, I think um, look very oversold at these current levels. But you're right, the, the, the swing won't happen until um, we see a peak in that US dollar. Um, I, I mean, on all my metrics, it looks way overbought at the moment, the US dollar, and Treasuries look way oversold. So it does look, I, it does look yeah, I, so I would say suggest it, it's soon. Um, but obviously, you know, you don't, I don't want to catch a falling knife either. No, no, no one wants to in this market. Uh, I'm just going to throw out some stats here. So the quarterly real return in a percentage terms through stagflationary periods. Gee, it's too early on a Friday for that. This is the source. <laughs> of, I'm taking it from Heimstaden and Macro Bond. Um, this is a really good um, piece that they put together. So stagflation, now they, they're defining stagflation as quarters with rising unemployment, weakening growth and inflation substantially above the 10-year moving average. So that's it. Data going back since January 1973, the best performing asset during uh, times of stagflation, as they define it, is gold, which has an average return of being about 9%. REITs, so this is US REITs, Real Estate Investment Trusts, are uh, almost 6%, about 5.5% return. Commodities, about 2% return. Uh, Treasury is about a percent. The US dollar index actually returns negative 2%. So if we're going into a period of stagflation, that might just be uh, having a little bit of gold in the portfolio and some REITs too. I've just started picking up as well on that one. Speaking of stagflation, we'll go back around here to the kook and then we'll uh, and we'll look to wrap it up. Like I said, nice and quick and dirty um, with just a quick blast with the guys on the final, final word. Unfortunately, Kyle Ruder was unable to join us, which is a real, a real drag. Kook, so, uh, do you think that we could potentially be heading into a stagflationary area? I mean, Australia maybe not so much. I don't know if you follow the US too closely, but uh, yeah. what, the stagflation word is really getting thrown around globally. How is Australia immune to that, if at all? And even in the UK last night with the Bank of England rate hike, sort of a, sort of a uh, really interesting reaction that they're hiking rates even though they're flagging possibility of recession now that's obviously taking a couple of different extremes but you know a stagflationary environment um, depends on the exact definition but something of the order which would be uncomfortable for most people in the community and and uncomfortable for policymakers for that uh, matter too is that if we get to the end of this year and maybe early 2023 and you've still got this uh, inflation rate headline underlying whatever at around about four four and a half percent you no longer have falling unemployment because GDP growth's at 1%. So you don't really fall into recession as such, but you have this 
you know, elongated period where growth is just muddling along at best and, yeah, the labour market's starting to deteriorate. Yet, because of a whole lot of issues, they could be geopolitical, they could be supply chain issues, they could be uh, linked to wage pressures or, or some, some other matter within the economy where inflation is just persistently high, then, of course, it's going to be a very, very messy period. So the question for policymakers then and for financial markets, as, as you were alluding to there, is you know, what do you do? You, know, you, you keep hiking rates to get uh, inflation down, but clearly then drive your economy into a, a, a real recession, if you like. Or do you say, look, I'm going to tolerate inflation being at you know, 4%, uh, and let the economy grow a little bit, but of course that creates a whole lot of dislocations for you know, for capital markets, for bond yields, and all the rest of it. So it's, it's it's a real risk, and I think the risk is growing by the day. And I think that's the concern that's sort of coming into some of this you know, extreme volatility that we're seeing in, in markets right now. So uh, not not my call at the moment because I'm still more of an optimist on the growth side. But yeah, you know, clearly the risk is growing as we see rate hikes and and we see the evidence that the economies are cooling off. I've got uh, two. I've got two main facts, which are which are unchangeable facts in my mind that are, that are signposts that, I, that, that I'm using to cling to, like a mast uh, in the in the hurricane, uh, and they are that that no matter what happens, people don't just go back to using Russian oil tomorrow. Even if there is if there is peace in Ukraine in ten minutes' time, people don't don't just all of a sudden switch back to being dependent on on Russia for what they do. That will put a floor underneath commodities markets in general, especially copper. And and especially other uh, energy exporters as well. The can other I, big... can I just sorry get it mate go. I was going to say can I just say right I've talked about this idea of flow, but if you want to epitomise everything that the market was worried about last night in 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 a nutshell, go and have a look at two pieces of economic data that came out at exactly the same time and correlated with the low in in in, in treasury yields real rates and the move up in the dollar yeah unit unit labor costs came out and yeah. they grew yeah. 11.6% right so that's your inflationary the market's saying oh inflation inflation at the same time non farm pro- non farm productivity yeah. fell 7.5% this epitomizes everything the market's concerned with rising inflation a loss of economic productivity and a Fed who are just going after inflation. Horrible numbers they were. They yeah. were horrible and it all correlated at the same time. So we're trying to find a, a fundamental reason. That was the situation. It epitomised everything the market's worried about last night. But then you mix in all the flow and the hedging and all that factor that came through. But that to me is everything. We're watching inflation now like a hawk. Any kind of metric that says this is going to continue, the Fed need to raise rates more. And, and the market's going to sell off. So that those two numbers, in, in a nutshell, I think is, is is everything you need to know. That's uh, that's pretty much that. So in a stagflationary environment, is fairly uninvestable across the board for for a lot of things, especially as the as the main as the main impact of it does take uh, does take effect. Um, now, quick bounce around the room, and then going to wrap it up because I want to see this market open for some reason, or just go away <laughs> with. Um, the property market locally, local property market. Uh, how far has it got to go? I'm going to go Heath first. Uh, look, uh, I think we're starting to see a little bit of a rollover in Melbourne and Sydney already. I think maybe, you know, 5 or 10%. Uh, we see it roll off about 5 or 10%, nothing major. It's healthy for the, uh, the the market. Obviously, we've seen such large gains over the last two years. So, yeah, I think uh, 5 to 10% um, on the downside. It would be good to see. It, w- it would be good to see younger people being able to maybe crack into their home using this as a chance to maybe get in, which, which would be good. Uh, my theory of stuff is dependent on 
people buying homes, filling it with stuff. Well, first, first home buyers are still it's still close to record highs, and we saw those record highs uh, last year with first home buyers. So, uh, it, at the moment, affordability doesn't seem to be much of a problem. Uh, Westy, property locally, if you want to cover it. Not my, not my bag. To be, I'll leave to leave this again to people like Wajin, who are uh, far more intelligent than me. But we'll just yeah, do, I mean, just do a Pete Wajin impersonation then, mate. You're really yeah. close to it already. He's <laughs> got a much better northern accent. Than me. <laughs> I think, yeah, obviously, da- obviously, downside risks. You know, um, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say a collapse by any means. So I just don't think they're going to allow it to happen. But yeah, obviously, the probability is downside risks. Um, and yeah, I see more downside risks in 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 other asset classes like equities and various factors as well. So the market, keep it simple. Uh, we've got rising rate environment. You're going to be watching for um, you know the you know, the demand to dry up a little bit, and and obviously sellers having to meet the market. So yeah, a bit of downside seems like the likely probability, but um, yeah, I'm not going to call a collapse anytime soon. Cook, mate, property, how far? Yeah, not a big fall, if if any. Uh, house prices are more correlated to the health of the labour market than to interest rates. So even if we do see this, you know, 350 basis points of rate hikes or whatever that's priced in, clearly that's a negative issue. But uh, it'll happen. Uh, only when the labour market's got this strength and the unemployment rate's low, wages are picking up. So um, to me, the risk of a, a major fall is still very, very low. Uh, yeah, prices come off the ball. You usually don't get two plus 25% increases two years in a row. That doesn't happen. So a year where we move sideways, the odd city might just drop a couple of percent, but no, no nothing severe. Good enough for me. All right, that's uh, that's a wrap now, guys. So Stephen Kukulis from Market Economics, thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Heath Moss, HLM Investments and our token South Australia, also thank you very much. Thank you very much, buddy. I hope that your respective football teams win on the weekend, except for you, Stephen, because you follow Collingwood. So that's uh, just you. Um, just you. <laughs> Much uh, appreciated. Thank you. I saw the bunnies got absolutely thrashed last night. I, I know. I've had a bad, bad night. <laughs> All right, well, I hope it gets better then, mate. Um, this show was brought to you by Bridge Street Capital Partners. If you want to know more about Bridge Street Capital Partners and the amazing deals that they have uh, and you're a 708 investor, please email invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au. I've uh, got a really special one. Um, they're helping me out with a really special uh, episode next week. It's going to be a lot of fun to do too, so they've got some really interesting people lined up for me too, which is good, good that they help me out with that. That's what's good about having a really good sponsor like Bridge Street Capital Partners. And they buy me lunch sometimes as well, which is nice. Uh, you can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a review. Reviews are really nice. Five-star ratings. Keep them coming. We are doing really, really well with what we do and helping people know more about what the heck is going on in this market, especially now more than ever, is uh, I think that we're doing some really good work here. And it's because of people like Stephen, people like Heath, people like Westy as well, who's, who dipped out to go and do an Ausbiz. Um, Thank you very much for that. I've got a website. Check me out on Wheelan Capital um, or at VFS Group, which is where I do all my advisory stuff. But I put the links that we need. Uh, Stephen or Heath, if you've got any uh, extra links or papers or documents or anything that you want to have, just put it on the website and I'll chuck it up there for you. I am at James Wheelan 42 on the, on the Twitter. Heath is Heath83, I think Heath Moss 83. Or at something. Heath Moss 83, yep. At Heath Moss 83. And I think the kook, you're just, you're just a kook, aren't you? I'm just a kook, yep, that's uh, me. You own that name, yep. very good. Uh, the show is produced by Drunken Monkeys, working in the dark, mate. And thank you for listening. I am out of here. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.